0: faith in the world, my future, I have faith in curing diseases, just about everything. Is it possible to lose your faith? Yes. Yes, that's probably. Uh, if you have faith once, I don't think you can. If no. you've never had faith before, no, I don't think you can stand Is it possible for a person to lose their faith? oh yeah yeah you know getting drunk you lose a lot of things I did <laughs> what's next Is it possible to get your faith back? Oh yeah when you sober up yes it is I think when they get discouraged I think when you know bad things happen to them when they have bad luck they'll, they'll lose their faith but over time they'll find it again I used to pray before and all that and then when I first got sick on my with my feet diabetes and all that I got no more toes Uh, I used to think to myself, what did I ever do to my God that I used to pray to, that he's putting this on me? Since then, like I said earlier, I don't pray no more. I just go along with it. Whatever happens, happens. What do you believe in? God. That's it? I'm a Catholic. So, whatever I was talking about I was here. do you have faith yes. I kind of have faith faith is being faithful to God being faithful to yourself life, people will do my faith I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the creator the second person of the Godhead deity in bodily form that's why I faith Jesus of Nazareth how many of you would agree that there's some crazy thoughts about what faith is? <laughs> I would agree. Let's find out what God says about faith, can we? Joshua chapter 2. No better place to have our questions answered than the Word of God. Joshua 2 is the story of Rahab. And I think we can bring some good clarity today, uh, some, some conciseness to this question, what is faith? And Rahab brings a case for faith to the forefront here in Joshua 2. While you're finding that and you uh, have that in your Bible, place your finger on verse 8. And um, I just want to kind of bring you up to speed about uh, where we are with this because we're progressing towards um, the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River, conquering the promised land, dividing that up. And so there's a theme of victory running through Joshua. We talked earlier about how Joshua won the victories inside first, and then he was prepared for those corporate battles and talked about how overcoming fear was part of that. Faith is a big part of our journey towards victory as well. Not just because it's in the text here and we're trying to make it fit, but I want to show you scripturally how faith is connected to a victorious lifestyle by showing you what John wrote to us in one of his epistles. In fact, read this this with me. 1 John 5 shows us the connection of faith and a life of victory. Watch this. Read this out loud with me. It's 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Here we go. Ready? This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our... Now, that's a noun form there, right? It means our body of beliefs. But look how the writer now takes that same idea and and puts it into a verb usage to show us what we're to do. Look what he says. keep reading. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who, that Jesus is the Son of God. Our desire to, to, quote unquote, claim our promised land, to enter into victory, really is a journey of faith as well. Believing and doing what God has already asked us to do. We're going to see that really portrayed well in the life of Rahab. Your finger is on verse 8 there in Joshua 2. I'll bring it to speed just with some styles summaries. How does that sound? In Joshua two, one, he sends out some spies. It's wartime. They're about ready to conquer, so he sends out some spies. They land and find themselves at a prostitute's house. Now, gosh, has got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? I mean, here's his children of Israel, holy and anointed, consecrated, set apart, and the two spies who crossed the Jordan River and found their way to this walled city land in a prostitute's house. Now, there's no biblical implication that they did anything immoral, I think there's a reason they landed there. First of all, her house was on the wall, so it was easily accessible from perhaps the uh, the area in which they crossed the Jordan. But also, I mean, think about it. And all of you are getting a little tense. You're kind of getting restless because I'm saying words in church you don't normally hear. But just relax. Take a deep breath, okay? I think they knew too. Man, this house probably gets a lot of visitors, so we won't be suspicious here. You know what I'm saying? So they make their way to Rahab's house, and, and, and they're going to hide there. They're going to try to get information. And I think a third reason would be, If anybody would know a lot about the city and its inhabitants, guess who would? Rahab. So there's sovereign providence in why they're ending up at Rahab's house. Well, they're there and no sooner did they get there, it appears that the text indicates the king of Jericho heard about it and comes to inquire of Rahab, you know, we heard you're hiding two spies. Now, they didn't have satellite technology and they didn't have you know, the mapping ability that we do and the Laser uh, type of uh, weapons to pinpoint a target from outer space and destroy it. But I'll tell you, they had some serious communications network, didn't they? Because what I think is odd is the king told the exact truth. He knew exactly how many had come. And why did it come? And though Rahab did lie in her response, the king told the truth, didn't he? There was a vast military communications network in Jericho. So the king confronts Rahab and she lies. And a lot of folks have thought to themselves, well, was that okay to lie? First of all, the clear answer there is no. It's not right to lie. A better question is this was it justified? Are you with me? And there has been several viewpoints on this. The Scripture does not give any real clear um, reasoning as to, as to why she lied or as to why it seemed okay. But I'll tell you some thoughts that I have personally. I think, first of all, and this is kind of where scholars land, to be honest with you, in some different commentaries. They, can, they attribute her actions to wartime actions. I mean, this is what you do in a war you deceive the enemy. Amen? Now, she's on the other side and she's kind of like a double agent. She's inside the walls and because she believes what she's been hearing, she decides to be with Israel and so she lies to her own people. But it's still wartime action. We shouldn't be surprised that this is how they act. Another thing that I think is important too is at a certain point, you know, Rahab was an unbeliever apart from the children of Israel, not, um, um, not included into that family. And some scholars say that the law of God given to the Israelites probably wasn't one that would apply to her. And besides that, if she wasn't part of that family, why would we expect her to obey that law? And I think there's some validity to that. It'd be like asking lost people to act like Christians. Why would you expect that? They don't have the Spirit of God. Are you with me? So there's some room here to say, you know what? Lying is never right, but was it justified? I'll leave that to your small group this week to discuss and answer. How does that sound? But that's where we find ourselves. The king comes in. She lies to the king. She hides the spies. The pursuers leave. They're on some wild goose chase and Rahab goes upstairs. And in verse 8, we pick it up. Look with me. Joshua eight. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof, speaking of Rahab, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Now, I know you bring a pen to First Family. I know your Bibles are open. And So would you underline the word no? In fact, you might want to circle it and put a box around it, underline it, and put a star near it. It's a very important word in this text. Rahab verbalizes... Her faith, And apparently for the very first time, it had been settling in her heart. And now she verbalizes this to these two spies. And here's why she knows. Let's read on. She says, I know that great fears of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Isn't it odd that in this text, the very emotion that God warned Joshua about is now what the Jerichoites are experiencing. Isn't that neat? Joshua this time and his his fellow countrymen stood up and said, Hey, we will not be in fear. We'll be strong and courageous. And that very same fearful emotion seems to have played now on his enemies. They're, they're, They're living in fear. Their hearts are melting. And here's why. Verse 10. We have heard... We underline the word heard. Circle it. Put a box around it. Put a star next to it, would you? We have heard... How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, there it is again. What should you do there? Underline it, circle it, put a box around it, put a star next to it. And now I want you to connect all three of the words. The word heard, the word heard, and the word no. Draw a line to all three of them. Because we're going to see something about faith in a minute. Rahab hears, she hears, she hears, and suddenly she knows. Let's keep reading. It says, when we heard of it, our hearts melted, everyone's courage failed because of you. And notice this phrase now, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. There's a modern day paraphrase for that. Rahab actually said, Because I scratched your back, you're going to scratch mine. Are you with me? You can laugh at that point, folks. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. She says, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. You know how Rahab was able to verbalize her faith like this? How she was able to so confidently say, I know that God has given you our land. and I want to... I want to. I believe and I want you to promise me that, that your God, who is now my God, will save us and keep His Word. You know how she knew that? Because she had heard specific reports and that hearing the message about Israel's God ignited faith in her life. And when other people heard and ran in fear, Rahab heard and was driven to faith. You know why? Because faith is ignited through hearing. In fact, you might want to write that down. It's a good principle about faith that's echoed through the New Testament. Faith is ignited by hearing. Now, not just hearing anything, are you with me? You might want to complete this sentence in your notes. It's important that we hear the right thing. And faith is ignited by hearing a message about Christ. I noticed in these verses in Joshua... It wasn't that Rahab heard just general vague reports, did she? She heard specific, um, detailed accounts of how the God of the Israelites had overcome the waters of the Red Sea, had destroyed the Egyptians. And, And we could go into even more specificity here, showing that Rahab didn't just hear that, hey, there's some other God out there that is going to fight against our God, and we'll see what happens. She began to hear that there is a, a people that God has released from Egypt. They've got a leader and they're apparently possessing this land and, and this is true, it's happening. And she said, I believe. And I've learned that when we hear the message of the Word of God, we're driven to one of two places, either fear or faith. What's being night in your heart today? Where's, what's happening beneath the facade of your flesh? As you hear the message of Christ, as you hear the call of God, do you hear the enemy also saying, don't believe it, run away, it's not true. And fear wells up in you, or in faith you say, this is true, and I will move towards God, I'll take a step of action for Him. You see, faith is ignited by hearing a message about Christ. This is really... um, just cemented in Romans 10, 17. Would you look there with me? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul spells this out so clearly to the Romans here in chapter 10. Put your finger on verse 17. It's kind of wrapped in the context of mission work. Paul is talking about how will people hear if they... If they don't go, and if someone doesn't go, and if someone doesn't go, they're not sinning. He's just talking about how we have to be willing to speak and share and go. And then verse 17, he says, Because faith comes from hearing the message. Could Paul have been more clear, church? How does faith come? Through hearing the message. And what kind of message? The message is heard through what? The Word of Christ. There are churches all over Des Moines area. And they adopt the landscape of America who are trying to run from the Word of God. They've embraced a casual, comfortable Christianity. They've put their arms around the kind of corporate service that speaks nothing about boldness or, or validity on something as foundational as God's Word. And they just want to make sure that everyone hears some nice things. Can I say something to you? Nothing is further from the heart of your church's leadership than that. We have no desire to make sure you're comfortable. Welcome to First Family this morning. You ought to thank God the ACA has padded chairs, you know. It's not our desire to see that, that you leave feeling that it was convenient and that we were on time. We want to honor you, but I'll be honest with you, we want to honor God more. And we do not shrink back from asking you to have your Bibles, to mark in them, to read Scripture with us. Man, we should fill this place with the praise of God in song and in Scripture. Our, our, our lips ought to be quick to speak about our Lord. You know why? Because that's what ignites faith in the heart of people. I have a personal opinion about why there's a lack of, of little growth and power in churches. You know why? Because we've taken the easy road. We let the culture dictate what we say and how we say it and what we use. While it's never our intent to be offensive, it's never our intent to run from why we meet together. I mean, if we don't study and learn from this and let this call us to change, man, stay home. Do you hear me? Stay home. You've got more important things you've time than to come hear my opinions or come hear a funny story by your pastor Man, you could read better stories on the Internet. But there's something powerful and supernatural that happens when the children of God gather around the Word of God with the Spirit of God. You know what happens? The change of God begins to occur. And He speaks into the hearts of people. And the Word of God starts to bear fruit. If we receive it with meekness, as James says, it's able to save our souls. I exhort all of you. Never to be ashamed of the powerful Word of God. You know, this really fits well with what Joshua, what God told Joshua to do. He said, meditate on the law. How often? Day and night. And the word meditate means to mutter. We should never be ashamed at work or at the, at the bank or with our families at the dinner table just to kind of be talking about Scriptures. It's not your jokes or your motivation or, or your punishment that will bring your children to love, for, to love God. It is the Scriptures into their heart that will propel them when they get on their own to turn their hearts toward the Savior and live for Him. And sometimes we've got homes full of TV... Not of the Bible. We've got dinner tables filled with our talk and not of Scripture. We've got lives jam-packed with schedules that rarely speak of the Word of God. And then we wonder why we're so remotely distant from the Lord. Why we're so uh, scarcely powerful in our faith. I'll tell you why. And I can be as bold to say this. We have removed the message which ignites faith in the heart of people. D.L. Moody said this. I was reading the past few weeks and doing some research. One of his journals, he wrote this. He said, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I had closed my Bible earlier and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study in faith has been growing ever since. That's what the Word of God does for us. And we should always be quick to speak the Word, and especially at church. Amen? So I just want you to rest assured, at least for the next 150 years, as long as I'm pastoring here, this is front and center of our time together. Hallelujah? Amen. Because faith is ignited through hearing. I think it's interesting how Rahab at finally... I don't know how long she heard these reports. It could have been for days and months. We don't know. It could have been years. You know, they wandered in a loop around the wilderness. It wasn't like a 40-year trek. It was a 40-year loop. I wonder if the Jerichoites maybe heard off and on, man, those guys, they love to make circles, don't they? And maybe they're watching the Israelites and they just keep hearing reports. And, but somewhere in those reports, she heard that this God of the Israelites is true. And I believe him. And she knew somehow, almost innately, that if I believe with these guys, they'll save my neck. Faith is evidenced. Excuse me, faith is ignited by hearing. Let's read on verse 14, shall we? Basically, the spies then agree with her and promise her that if she will do exactly what they say, that her life and the lives of her family will be saved. And we say family there. The text seems to indicate that Rahab was a single person, probably still living with her parents. So she was probably somewhat young. We do know that when she joined the children of Israel, she did marry a prince from the tribe of Judah. you find that later in the Old Testament. So she was probably pretty young at this point, living with her brothers and sisters, her father and mother. And they agreed with her. They said, you do what we say and we'll keep our word to you. And Look at verse 17. The men said to her, this oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, and don't you love those words? A few years back, there were ten spies that says we can't enter the land. So even the spies in this passage are exhibiting faith, aren't they? When we enter the land, you have, this, uh, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window, the same cord through which you let us down. And unless you brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family to your house. In other words, if you don't do those things, we're not going to keep our end of the bargain. We're not bound to disagreement if you don't do these two things. Hang this scarlet cord out and get all your family under your roof. Look what it says in verse 19. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. I like clear, concise talk, don't you? I these mean, spies are pretty awesome communicators. As for anyone who's in the house with you, His blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on Him. They were putting God on the line. And you know what? When God speaks a clear word, which He has, you can keep Him on the line. Amen, church? God's never going to let us down. They trusted Him. They knew He wouldn't lie. And so they just, they, they just were there with Rahab and said, listen, our God has promised and if you get in the house with your family, they'll all be safe. And then they said in verse 20, if you tell what we're doing... Will also be released from the oath you made us swear. In other words, get him in the house, hang the court out the window, but you can't breathe a word of this. Now, that's an impacting amount of verses, because here's why: Everything that Rahab did was an evidence of her faith. She could have said all day long, "Hey guys, I feel in my heart a need to believe. I don't want to be afraid like the other folks in my city. I'm driven to faith. I hear this and I hear this, and so I know your God is true and real. But if she says to the spies, oh, but no, I'm not hanging any cord out. And I'm not bringing in my family. And I'm not helping you get out of here. You could say to Rahab, no matter what you are verbalizing, your faith is false. Because her actions would prove that she really didn't believe what she was saying. You see, there's another principle we learn in this passage, and that's faith is evidenced by actions. And there's several actions here. One is... She did hang a cord out her window. And I don't think the word cord is a very good translation. We should use the word, word like major rope action, okay? Because the two spies climbed down this very cord. So, you know, sometimes in VBS or in Sunday school of years ago, you'd see a little red ribbon. Can we just get rid of the ribbon idea? Is that okay? Two grown military soldiers climbed down this rope. So. If you have a house and it's got a long, thick, military-type red rope hanging out the window, and you do that for at least about nine or ten days, because we know the spies hid in the mountains for three days after they left. We know Israelites marched around Jericho for at least six days. On the seventh day it fell. So we have at least a minimum of nine days where this ropes hanging out the window. I bet you some of her neighbors said, Hey, Rahab, you got some new HGTV thing going on in your window, don't you? What's up with the red rope? Is that some new trend? Uh, you want to fill us in on what's happening? you know?" And, well, that rope is uh, just a really good rope that I like on my window. Now, I don't know what she said, but you can, I bet you can bank on this. In a 10-day period, folks were wondering, Man, Rahab's got some new ways for the visitors to see her house. I mean, there's all kind of talk, and yet she never removed it. She left it. That's a sign of her faith, no matter what the neighbors said. I wonder what the authorities maybe came back and said when they questioned her. We don't know, but these are wonderful kind of questions to ask as you think about how she evidenced her faith. Here's another point. Can you imagine trying to rally your family into your house with these kinds of words? Hey, mom and dad, listen, those spies that I hid, I know you're thinking that they probably were here for business. But I got to tell you, nothing went on that night. The truth is, they're coming in with their whole army, and they're going to pretty much ransack our city. We're history in about ten days. And I need you to get my brother and my sister. I need you to all come in our house because all the walls are going to collapse, but our house is going to stay standing. Can you imagine hearing that? In fact, I've never been in an earthquake. I've never been in a a tornado. I've never been in in a hurricane. But my gut reaction, if I were in something like that, would not be to run into closed buildings. Did you know that? I tend to think if something's collapsing, I'm going to run away. and like Give me some open space, right? She says to them, listen, come into my house. Let's stay in here and let everything else fall down around it. It took a lot of faith to voice that. It took a lot of faith for her family to believe that. But all through her reactions to the message she heard, we see her faith evidenced. In fact, I believe this so deeply that I would say to you, faith without evidences is really not faith. Look over James 2 for a moment. Let me show you what James says about this very topic. James chapter 2. Would you turn there briefly? And I won't read all of these verses. I would encourage you to jot them down on your notes. It's James chapter 2. Especially verses 14 through 26. I encourage our lighthouses this week to make this a companion passage in their studies and as they read through different things to consider the same text. James 2, in fact, one of the characters mentioned here is Abraham, the other is whom? It's Rahab in James chapter 2. Exactly. He uses these people as examples of how faith is more than words. And in fact, I like verse 17 as a real summary verse. I would encourage you to read verses 14 through 26 on your own. Look at verse 17. James put this out there really clear and simple. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Say that again. Dead. Now, someone said to me, Todd, does that mean we're saved by works? Not at all. Here's the best way to translate some of these phrases. Often he says, uh, you know, that faith is dead. Here's a a good way to say it. That type of faith is dead. In other words, genuine faith is never going to be left alone. It's always going to have the legs of action walking with it. And if it doesn't, it's not even genuine faith. It's false faith. And guess what? False faith never saves. So what James is saying is this. He says, listen guys, faith without any works is not even faith. That type of faith is dead. It's it's, it's pseudo-faith. It's the kind of faith that seems to characterize way too many Christians in 2007. Hey, I believe. Leave me alone. Yeah, I signed the creed. Now, now, don't bother me. And we think that our faith can be left alone and never be accompanied by action. That is incredibly and biblically incoherent theology. Faith always is accompanied by action in the Word of God. So based on that discovery and based on that truth, I want to say to you with compassion but yet great sternness, if your life is characterized by mental assent only, words only, and never action, you are living under the disguise of false faith. You don't really own what you're verbalizing. Let me give you further proof. Hebrews 11. Turn back to the left a few pages. Hebrews 11. We know this chapter as the hall of what? Someone tell me. It's kind of called the hall of faith. I refer to it as perhaps the... Uh, The Justice League of Christianity is the place where all the heroes reside, you know. It's where the kind of like the super-Christians all hang out. And they're really no different than us, but they're mentioned here. And the stories are incredible. Did you know that behind every single name, listen very carefully, First Family, behind every single name, to a man or woman, and by the way, there's only two women mentioned in Hebrews 11. They are Sarah and... You got it. It's funny that in the New Testament, when faith talked about, Rahab's a prominent figure. But behind every single name, without exception, there is an action verb. There is no passive or linking or type of grammar where it says, "Hey, you know what? Abraham believed, and he just sat there." Noah believed, and next thing you know, he just kept he just kind of kept sleeping. There are action verbs that speak to something they did how their faith was evidenced to a person. In fact, I'll just review some for you. The Bible says Abraham got up and went. Noah built. Abel offered. You could go down the list. Rahab hid and welcomed. And then in verse 32, which are some of my favorite verses in all the New Testament... Timothy, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, almost in a sense of like his passion for this topic of faith and action, he gets so overwhelmed. Look what he says in verse 32, and I love this portion of Scripture. He says... And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. I can relate to that phrase. I don't have time. and I've been there about every week, you know. I don't have time to tell you about Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. Can't you hear Timothy's passion begin to well up? And the prophets who through faith... Now watch these verbs. Conquered kingdoms. Administered justice. Gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. quenched the fury of the flames. Escaped the edge of the sword. Man, do you see? They routed foreign armies. They were in battle. Women received back their dead. They were raised to life. Wow! Hebrews 11 is just a virtual hall of action verbs. And we think that we can believe and never do anything. Our theology at those moments is shaky at best. Do you see why sometimes... We grow weary with the Church of America because we have an unbiblical approach to the topic of faith. We think we can ignite it through our own stories and jokes and, and uh, inventions. And we think we, it's real by simply a, a signature on a line or a, a verbal credence. When in the Bible, the Word of God is always the primary agent of ignition. And action is always the human response. Anything less, it's false faith. How's your faith for family? How's your faith today? Let's put this in a simple sentence, shall we? The kind that I can get my arms around it and remember. Faith is action based. On belief. In fact, can you say that with me? Here we go, ready? Faith is action based on belief. Now, in terms of our text today, we're obviously going to say it's action for God based on belief in God. But to get to the real, just essential definition of faith, it's action based on belief. Let's take Jock right there in the middle. Jock says to me, I've got to go to Arizona tomorrow, I'm going to fly out four o'clock today. So I say, hey, I'll take you down to the airport. And his wife let's say, tied up and can't take him, so he wants a favor from his pastor, great. We'll go down there together. We get down there, he checks in, and he's waiting by the gate, and this time they let me through, let's say, and you know, you can't get past that screen area normally. Let's say they do. We're standing there and I'm like, well man, I'll see you later. He's like, I'm not getting on that plane. I'm like, well your flight leaves in about an hour. You need to board in about thirty minutes. I, said, I don't I'm not getting on it they may wreck. I'm like, well you bought a ticket. He said, I oh, know I believe planes can fly. You do? Well, then get on the plane. Uh-uh. I'm not getting on the plane. We could have that conversation, but the truth is, I could look at Jock and say, Jock, you really don't believe planes can fly. And I'd be completely correct. Why? Because his actions prove that he really doesn't believe planes can fly. Are you with me? You could say all day long, Todd, I. I believe this and I believe that. We'll just take, for instance, the Gospel. I believe the Gospel. Really? Have you embraced it as the only way, the exclusive way to Jesus Christ? Have you said, I confess before men the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Son of God who died and was buried? If we believe, then we are not condemned. But if we don't believe, we are already condemned. Anyone not agreeing and believing in Jesus stands to be condemned already. Well, Todd, I don't want to say that because wait, wait, wait. Then you really don't believe. Until you embrace the cross and the gospel of grace as the only way, you can say all day long, I believe you really don't. You haven't put your faith in Jesus, though your words make others think you have. Are you with me? You can say all day long, I believe God will take care of my needs, and but I'm not going to really give anything. Well, then you really don't believe that. No, Todd, I really do. No, you're saying you do, but your actions prove that you trust yourself more than God. It kind of reminds me of the guy that said to his pastor one day, Hey, listen, pastor, I would love the tithe. But you know what? The truth is, I'm out of money every month. I have more bills than I do money. And I just can't. I mean, um, logically, it doesn't add up. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. So the pastor said to him, Well, I'll tell you what. You let me know every month how short you are, and I'll make up the difference. The guy's like, Do you would do that? And he's like, Man, you're an awesome pastor. He said, "That's, That's perfect. I'll start tithing. And he turned to walk away, and the pastor said, Wait, wait, come back here. And he said, "What?" he said, I think it's odd that you would trust me A frail human with limited resources at best. But you wouldn't trust God who's made you the very same promise and He owns the universe and He's bound by no one. But you won't trust Him? The member looked at Him and said, I knew there's a reason I didn't like you. And he kind of laughed a little bit. The pastor writes that from that day forward, that member has never quit tithing. Isn't it amazing what we trust and who we put our faith in? You see, you can say all day long, oh, I believe, but until we act, we really don't believe. I've had folks say to me, Ty, I really want to serve the Lord. I want to grow. And I don't want to do those things. Because at First Family, there's three things we do. What are they? And, Todd, I mean, I love the services. I man. I'm attending on the weekends, and I really want to grow, and I want to serve the Lord. I say, great. Well, tell me kind of what you're doing, what group you're in, or. Have you got someone you're kind of connected to? I mean, tell me what you're doing beyond Sunday. Oh, I'm just too busy. Okay. And no one else is, of course, but I understand that you are. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, uh, is there a certain team you're serving with? I mean, how are you kind of giving back? Oh, I'm just too busy. People that say all the time I'm too busy probably aren't too busy. They're too scared. Is that okay to say that? The truth is, they can say all day long, I really want to grow. No, you don't. You want me to think you want to grow. I really want to serve. No. You don't be able to think you want to serve. The truth is, actions prove faith. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be in a lighthouse to be spiritual. I'm saying growing in whatever way you do that beyond the Sunday service because you will not be able to get everything you need here. You won't. I don't have near enough time. I'll just be frank with you. And there's a ton of Scripture. You need individuals, relationships, accountability. I would never call your name out and embarrass you in this service. I wouldn't do that to you. That's not the culture of our church. So you're not going to get what you need in this hour and 20-minute service. Are you with me? So in some way, you have to pursue growing beyond Sunday. And the longer anyone says, it's not for me, I would say to you, then you don't really believe you need to grow. You see, guys, I'm trying to bring us to a point of realization to look in the mirror and say, you know what, my faith is shallow or weak or the wrong kind. I'm, I'm not really... My faith not what it ought to be. And then letting God's Word ignite within us the right kind of faith. And then as He calls us to act one step at a time, we do it. Okay, God, I know what you're asking me to do now. I'll do it. We do that one thing. Okay, God, you prove faithful. God, you're awesome. Okay, I know now, God, what you're going to do, and we do it. We we'll take a step. Oh, God, you're so faithful and awesome. And as we keep making that journey, you know, months and years down the road, we see God has been faithful all the way. And we've taken little baby steps, and now suddenly we find ourselves, God, how did you get me here? And He says to you, one step of active faith at a time. Let's turn this around to a first-person, action-based sentence. You're really getting uncomfortable now. Can we do that? You ready? Say this with me. ready? Because I believe, I will act. Say it again. Ready? Because I believe, I will act. Okay, you're on the line. You just said it, right? No, I'm kidding you about that. This is really Joshua 2 in six words. Because I believe. I will act. Rahab did that. And right now, as I said that, there are people who are feeling the Spirit's conviction just all over them. The light of the Word of God has been shining in the corners of your life, in the basement. God has kind of peeled back some of the facades of your flesh. And you're sensing God bringing you to a place of action and you're not liking it. You're like, Todd, leave me in that comfortable place on the east side of the Jordan. I don't want to cross over right now. For instance, I think there's some folks here probably who know you ought to make things right at home. God's uh, plan for your marriage is different than what you're living out. And God believes better for you. And yet, your stubbornness and your pride keep you from apologizing. They keep you from doing the right thing to your spouse. Humbling yourself and saying... I want to realign our priorities. I want to do the right thing for our family. And so you leave church and you don't talk only home. Your dinners are quiet. Your backs face each other in bed. But you look good on Sunday. I'm calling you to believe God's plan for your marriage. And I'll act upon it. Humble yourself and apologize to your spouse. Make things right. There's some kids here today who may even make things right with their parents. I mean, you know, it's God's ideal that children obey their parents and honor their parents. But for some reason, it's just impossible for you and, and you fight and you you rebel and you're stubborn. If you believe what the God, what God's Word says, act on that. Maybe today, go to your mom or dad and say, you know, mom and dad, I've... regardless of all the circumstances, I, I've not been, I'm not doing the right thing and I apologize. And I want to hold myself under your authority. I want to be the kind of child that God calls me to be. It could be in a number of areas: relationships outside of our church, your attitude towards your employer. It could be in how you give. It could be in debts you owe. Going to someone and saying, "You know what? I know I owe you some money, and I don't have it, but I'm going to pay what I can every month. I'll, it'll be a little bit, but I'll do the right thing." Well, Todd, I don't have the money. Wait, wait. Do you believe God? Yes. Can act upon it. Do you believe it's right to pay your debts? Yes. Then pay. They say, if I don't have the money, I'll pay a little bit. you think God they give you There's so, so many areas. for raising of our children. Parents, man, they, they run away from biblical discipline. They shy away because they think the culture... Will... Who cares what the culture thinks? Do you believe God? Yes. Then act upon it. Church, this is what it takes to leave the wanderings of life that, that seem to, to sometimes just dog us, you know, cross over and enter a kind of life, a promised land kind of life, a victorious life that few people experience. You know why? Because when, that, when the obedience part hits us, too many of us falter. True faith has legs, it's ignited by hearing the words of Christ, and it's evidenced by the actions of the saints. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He addressed this very issue once to all of his soldiers in the beginning of that brigade's um, time when it did a lot of things different than it did now. It was actually an army at one point that actually battled certain things within our own borders and brought relief to different types of people and helped in lots of ways. Here's what William Booth said to his men. I quote this from Christianity Today. He says, Faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of men walking. First faith, and then works, and then faith again, and then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. In the church of faith, God speaks, we obey, God speaks, we obey. That's the life of Rahab. God spoke. She heard. She believed. And she acted. May first family follow suit. Amen. Can we pray today as we close?